Welcome back to the Tipsy Theology Podcast, episode number 44. <laughs> Time is flying by. You know what? Here's one for you SpongeBob fans. In the 44th episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, the show, <laughs> uh, he says the word crabs 44 times during the Krusty Krab training video. Now, I've never seen SpongeBob personally because growing up, my mother thought it was, and I quote, stupid. Anyway, <laughs> we've got a big one today. Today, you know, I'm probably going to make a lot of people mad um, and angry with me on both sides of the, on every side of the aisle. I don't know if I'm going to make anybody happy in this one, and that's how we roll. <laughs> I prefer it that way, I think, most of the time, it seems like. It seems like I like to ruffle feathers. That's what we're here for, because today, we're talking about God's sovereignty, what it is and what it isn't. So saddle up, because here we go. But before we go, <laughs> let's get saddled up. <laughs> and by that, I mean, let's get liquored up. <laughs> Oh, man. You know, it's funny. Um, I think probably most people think I drink more than I really do. <laughs> I don't know. I talk about it, but uh, the podcast is kind of the main the main uh, bingalow there. Anyway, today we are drinking this fancy little fella, The Singleton, 12 years old. It's... Don't make that joke. Anyway... <laughs> I found it on sale. I didn't know they did that. Um, I was over, I like to, there's a Publix liquor store nearby me, so I like to walk over there and peruse. I like to go and just see what they have. And that's my way of saying, I'm not going to buy anything. I just want to look. And then I end up buying something. <laughs> they have a bin there called the um, discontinued or soon to be discontinued um, bin. And, uh, you know, I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means the maker is no longer making it. I don't know if that means they, they're going to, Publix is just going to stop selling it or if it's not selling. <laughs> and that's just their way of getting rid of merchandise. Um, either way, it was on sale and I liked the color of the box and the bottle. And also, it says luscious nectar on it. Like, how can you not try that? <laughs> this one is tastefully enjoyed. It's pretty cool, pretty neat. And it's a fun box. It's a fun box. Um, actually, the bottle's kind of nice. It's a little bit um, simple, but it's got a nice, um, it's like a rounded kind of feel. I'm explaining this for all the audio listeners who can't see this. You know, if you just uh, pony it up a little bit, <laughs> you'd be able to see it, and that'd be kind of cool. It's kind of a neat experience. <laughs> And for those watching this, so you have to hear me describe the thing that you can see <laughs> and watch me fail at describing this bottle. <laughs> but it's got a cool kind of like teal color to it, and it's kind of neat. Um, so yeah, this is the Singleton Single Malt Scotch Whiskey 12-year. And um, interestingly about this one um, and these whiskeys, so this whiskey is double distilled for smoothness. Um, many distillers use two wash stills followed by one spirit still, but Singleton, however, uses a unique method of double distilling through two spirit stills as well. This slower, gentler process creates more copper contact resulting in the whiskey's characteristic, whiskey's characteristic smooth and creamy mouthfeel. Now I'm very, I'm very curious to know exactly what that means. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like creamy. Whenever I hear the word creamy, I just think of like dairy. Oh, that's kind of neat. Even the little cork thing on top is this teal color. They like teal. You know, these little, those little like um, uh, foil pieces that you take off the tops, I always like them. They're always really cool. I always want to keep them, but they just don't keep. Let's get that off the table. It's ugly looking. Um. So yeah. I'm interested to see what this actually tastes like um, and feels like. It's big on the mouthfeel. Uh, the Singleton was initially envisioned as a single brand. It began as three separate expressions, each representing a different space side distillery. I think that's the parent company, maybe? 
Um, there's Glenn Ord, Dufton, and Glenn Doolin. Their success led to Diageo, Dia, Diageo, Diageo, to merge them under the Singleton banner. Almost lost it. Aiming to become the world's leading single malt brand. That's pretty cool. Here's a little fun one for you. In 2013, Singleton launched a tongue-in-cheek marketing campaign in China featuring Jackie Chan. I'd love to... You gotta get Jackie Chan over here. <laughs> I don't know what he has to do with theology, but I just feel like that'd be an interesting conversation. And it's Jackie Chan. <laughs> so the ad depicted the action star attempting and failing to steal a bottle of Singleton, highlighting its smoothness and desirability with a humorous touch. While not intended for Western audiences, this campaign showcases the brand's playful sense of humor. Oh, it smells kind of nice. Um, it smells very fruity. It's definitely got uh the nose of it. Let's get a proper nose, a little, a little sniff sniff of it. Let's see if I can figure out what's going on in here. Let's test my palate, shall we? <laughs> okay, so it smells. Um, oops. I get fruit and vanilla. Those are the two that really stick out to me. Yeah, those are the two that I'm getting. There's probably more. Um, but I get fruit and vanilla. Let me see. I did actually write it down to see because I wanted to measure myself. Um, it, and so no one knows I'm cheating. Wait. So you, so you don't... Th I'm not cheating. <laughs> Let me just say that. I'm not cheating. <laughs> what I do is I don't even look at it. I just copy and paste it. Until right now, as I look at it, and I'm and if, for those of you that can see, I'm covering up part of it so I don't see all of it. But the nose is honey, vanilla, fruit, spice, and wood. I only got two of those, but I think that's pretty good. <laughs> that's not bad. I'm very curious. So they say it has a creamy and smooth mouthfeel. I have nothing. Well, besides the other stuff I've drank, I'm curious to see what this actually feels like. I've got a very different idea in my mind of what creamy feels like. Um, don't take that out of context, you sicko. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, interesting. So it's, it definitely feels thicker. And I guess that's the creaminess they're talking about. That's very interesting. It is extremely smooth. It goes down very, very nicely. It sits in your mouth really nicely, too. And, yeah, it's thick. Not like, like whoa, that's thick. But it's like, it definitely is not as, um, is viscous the right word? <laughs> it's not as liquidy as normal liquid. It's not like you're putting water in your mouth. Uh, all right, let me pay attention to the taste. Okay. So the fruit continues. It's very it's a very fruity um whiskey here. Um hmm. Vanilla. I think vanilla is pretty much in everything. It's always tasted vanilla. Is that the copper? Anyone who knows, let me know. Is that the copper that really adds that vanilla? Because I feel like most whiskeys have some kind of vanilla taste to them. I'm only getting fruit and vanilla. It's <laughs> the only thing I get it. That's the only thing I get. Let's see. Palette. Smooth, creamy. Honey, honey, vanilla-y, and fruit spice. Hey, I don't taste the honey. I don't get the honey. Maybe that's, hmm, I don't get the honey. I don't get it. And then the finish is long, smooth, creamy. They love saying creamy, don't they? <laughs> it is a long finish. That is true. Because I feel like by now, most whiskeys would be gone. Like, you know, it's just like, you have maybe some taste to it, but... For the most part, it's still, but it, like it lingers on your tongue. That's kind of nice. I wonder if that's the extra distillation that they do. That's kind of cool. It's a good one. I recommend it. Um, I don't know what it retails at, but I got it for thirty bucks. <laughs> you know the discontinued thing. Um, but yeah, this is actually worth uh, worth trying. It's actually really nice. I'm kind of shocked. I, I don't know. It's like you go out on a limb with some of this stuff. It's like, let's see what it's like. This is actually really good. 
it's unique in, in that way, but it's not... This is actually... It's a good drink for beginners especially because it's not overbearing. Um, I feel like a lot of stuff that I've had is can be very strong. And it's very bold, um, which can be tough for beginner drinkers who are like trying to figure out flavors. But this one is very approachable, I, I would say. Um, I, rec- I I would recommend it. Hmm. Yeah. That's very smooth. It's got the, the vanilla side of it. Um, don't get mad at me for saying this single tin or any whiskey connoisseurs. <laughs> the vanilla flavor is reminiscent. That initial hit is reminiscent of like a Jameson, which has very strong vanilla flavors. Um, but then the fruit comes in, and that really kind of shifts the flavor profile for me and adds some, some more complexity to it. So I think you should give it a try. I say go for it if you're thinking about it. <laughs> well, anyway, shall we dive into this? This one, man, I'm actually very curious to see where we go at this. I have a lot of notes here because sovereignty of God and just what is sovereignty, I think can be taken in so many different directions. And so even when I was when I was looking into this one, it was like, okay, how do I focus this in... How do you, how do you the big the big question I had trouble with was what is sovereignty and in part of that to answer it was like what is it not because with that I feel like um, well let me do this let me start with this sovereignty let's give it definition first and then let's work with that let's work off of that so John Piper um, and I think the definition that he gives this is how he defines it I think many theologians christians would agree with this um i'm going on a limb saying that so don't take my word for it if you don't you know if you're like no one agrees with that like i'm sorry (laughs) this is just what i found (laughs) um so it he defines it as he meaning god in particular because we're talking about god's sovereignty he is powerful and authoritative to the extent of being able to override all other power and authorities Nothing can successfully stop any act or any event or design or purpose that God intends to certainly bring about. That's pretty uh, comprehensive. <laughs> so with that, I for me, I don't disagree with that definition. Um, but I don't think we should just take it at face value here. Um, I think there's two big questions that come up under this conversation which is kind of what I was alluding to before this. And even within this, I think it gets um, alluded to to the point where we would ask that question. And it's foreknowledge and predestination. And so to be fair to sovereignty, what is sovereignty? I think we need to remove those two things because otherwise we're not defining sovereignty, we're defining predestination and foreknowledge or what do those two things look like together? It's like to... Yeah, to really define sovereignty well, we need to we need to be able to find a distinction between those two things, if there is one. Um, so I'm going to go out and say that, yeah, I'm going to go out and just say that I think these two things are, are separate. So understanding sovereignty. So, um, yeah, I think that when we t- traditionally think about sovereignty outside of biblical ideas or outside of God— like, what, who is a sovereign? What is a sovereign? And I think that is something that we would relate to lordship as far as, like, a king or a queen or some kind of royalty. They are the sovereign of a nation. They are, you know, the ruler over this area. Um, that's who we would call the sovereign. <laughs> um, and so to look at that, that's something that's a little bit different, I would say, than predestination, so I don't, I don't want us to be able to conflate these. I, I, I don't think we can, and I don't think we should conflate these two things together. I really do think that they, they are and should be separate. Um, now, they might play together. They might work together. But I think that we need to remember that these are two separate things. Um, yeah, many people, I think a lot of people would probably argue the connection between the two. And um, whether people, I think whether we, someone would outright say that, um, versus say it in practice, 
I think that's probably where we might see it more. So let's start let's start with foreknowledge before you know to kind of to kind of build my case here of what I'm saying. <laughs> so foreknowledge is awareness of something before it happens or exists. So with that, I don't think I don't think really anyone would argue this. At least I, I hope not, but I do want to say it to make it clear as far as what I'm saying. Foreknowledge does not mean predestination. Um, you know, just because you know something doesn't mean it's going to happen. And so speaking specifically for um, about God, if foreknowledge means predestination, that means that God is culpable for everything that happens. Um, so if just because he knows something means that it will happen, then that's a problem. Or he's a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... Um, those things, and again, I don't think anyone is actually saying this. As far as I'm aware, no one is. Um, but those two things are separate from each other, and they have to be. If that's the truth, if everything he knows, if he knows everything that will happen, or everything that happens is pre, you know, it's a weird connection, and I don't, I don't think it exists. So um, good on you for not thinking that. If you didn't, <laughs> and if you did, explain it to me, please. Um, <laughs> and so for me, I would actually say. And um, so talking about foreknowledge, so it's knowing uh, awareness of something before it happens or exists. And so a lot of, I think when we say, you know, what is omniscience, it means God knows everything. It's like, okay, well, what is everything? And a lot of people that I've asked that question to say, oh, he knows everything that will happen. And where I think that's true, I'm, I think it it should be phrased a little bit differently. And there's some scripture I want to shed light on this too for me saying this, um, is that God knows everything that could happen. And if you're getting testy with me now, that, let, me, let me explain, please. Give me a second here. <laughs> um, and so I would even go out as far to immediately say, I don't think it's fair for us to say he knows what will happen, but I think it's more fair and reasonable for us to say he knows everything that could happen. Um, and don't worry, I'll get to your... Um, you know, you can stop yelling at your your windshield right now. <laughs> I'll explain what I'm what I mean here. Um, so I want to look at first is First Samuel twenty three one through fourteen. So in there, um, this is with um, David when he's fleeing from Saul. Um, so God had foreknowledge of what would happen to David in this passage if he went to Kila, and so um, the way that conversation goes is he wants to go down to this area and he's like, oh, if I go down to this, to the city, Kyla, will they turn me over to Saul? And God says, yes, they will. If you go down that, that will happen. And so David and his army don't go to Kyla and it doesn't happen. So with that, we see that God is telling, giving him, um, telling him what will happen if he does something and he doesn't do it. So with that, it's like God knows things that won't happen. Um, he spoke pretty emphatically about what would happen if you want. <laughs> um, so yeah, so what God said would happen didn't happen because they didn't do the things that would lead to that happening. So the point of this is that God knows things that won't happen, but I think a question in here is, does he know that they won't happen? And I don't think we can successfully argue that um, God knows that certain things won't happen. I don't know if we can say that, and because um, that might be what some people say. It's like, well, he knows what will and he knows what won't. And the reason I say I don't agree with that is because um, several verses in here. So John fifteen ten says, "If you keep my commandments, you um, you will abide in my love, just as I have my Father's commandment." Sorry, just as I have abide, or kept them, as he's kept his command, Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. And some people might say, well, Jesus is giving a, you know, a hyperbolic statement there. It's like, well, he's actually giving a conditional statement. If you do this, then this will happen. Um, so if God knows that some people won't keep his commandments in this, doesn't this verse, isn't this verse kind of pointless? If he's saying, oh, if you do this, then this will happen. But you can't do this, so... 
it's like it's like promising someone something. It's like, oh, yeah, if you grow um, seven inches, you can you can join the N- or the NBA. And it's like, okay, I can't. <laughs> I'm a fully grown adult. I can't grow anymore. So uh, that's kind of pointless. Why would you even bother saying that? Um, and there's a lot of things in here. There's a lot of if-then statements in the Bible. Second um, Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. Matthew 17.20, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, in brackets, then, I'm adding those, is what I'm saying, you may say to this mountain, remove from here to over there, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. God knows what could happen, but not necessarily what will happen. Now that everything he knows, some of it will happen. Something in there will happen. <laughs> and so um, with that, I think some people are like, okay, so what about predestination? So does he? can he not just like boop um, with stuff? And it's a trigger word. Predestination is a trigger word for, for a lot of people. And I think it's important for us to, to separate that concept from salvation. Because I think when we think about that word, even when, when you look up just a definition of predestination, it's always tied so closely together with salvation. And for our sake in this conversation, we need to separate that concept a little bit. Um, so predestination is the divine foreordaining foreordaining, I think might be the right way to say that, of all that will happen. So it's it's him saying beforehand, like, this is going to happen in the future. So um, I believe predestination is a divine foreordering of what will happen, of what will happen, but I don't think it's how it will happen. Um, so I think it's fair to argue from Scripture that God's knowledge is not limited to just what will happen, but to what could happen, he knows every possibility. That's, that's kind of what I'm saying in here. Um, he knows everything that could happen, and what he's determining in predestination is this is what the outcome will be. But I don't believe he's puppeting everyone around <laughs> and just saying like, oh, you will do this and you will do this. Because you have the issue of sin. If God is a, puppet, a divine puppet master and just guiding us around that way, then we are not responsible for any of our actions, anything that we do, and he is the one that is then culpable for those things. He's the one who's responsible for that. We're just innocent little bystanders just kind of doing our thing. <laughs> so I think we we can't eliminate human choice from this, and um, but also understand what I'm saying is that's... By me saying these things, I'm not placing a limitation. We can't place a limitation on God. And I think when we limit, going back to foreknowledge, when we limit um, what God knows to, oh, he only knows what will happen, I think it opens up some issues, but also you're really limiting the knowledge. When you think about who knows more, I think that that was a question that got me in this, thinking this way a little bit, was like, who knows more, the person that, just knows what will happen, or the person who knows everything that could happen. And, um, you know, it's knowing one thing versus knowing everything. That's the that's the the big deal breaker in here for me. And I don't know if that makes any sense to you. For me, that just kind of clicks, and that, that makes sense to me, um, the way I think about that. Um, so I do not believe that everything is predestined. Um, again, sin becomes the problem, then, if, if we actually believe that. Um, and that makes God a problem. So, what, But I do believe that what God says is, is. I believe that what he says will happen, will happen. Um, you know, there are events that have been predestined by God um, and predetermined by him. We can look at even, like, the incarnation. That was something that he determined um, beforehand, like, this is going to happen. And these are things that will happen inside of there. I think all of those things are possibilities. And he told us, like, this is what's going to happen. And he does have a he does have a purpose and he does have a plan for things, but he allows us the ability to choose those things. But before we go down too far with that, um, 
So there are events that are predetermined. When we look at Job 42, 2, uh, as an example, um, it says in part of it that God's purpose cannot be thwarted. No one can exercise authority. I'm adding this in. No one can exercise authority over the Lord. No one can say, oh, you said this, but this is what I'm going to do instead. We can't trump what God has said. We, th- we see that throughout Scripture. That's how we get this idea of predestination, that he says, oh, this is going to happen, and it will happen. There's nothing in that sense, there's nothing that we can do to override what he has said will happen. And you're like, well, how does that work with what we're talking about? You know, if, doesn't that make us puppets? <laughs> and great question. Um, and this is where I, I, I want to bring up another example first. Because um, I find this very interesting when we look at how we view God. And when we look at it from a biblical sense, there is that idea of like, oh, what he says is. Um, but also it extends outside of just biblical literature. When we look at, um, if you guys are familiar with the Epic of Gilgamesh, one of my absolute favorites. It's such a good book. Um, not good in the sense of the Bible, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's such a fascinating read. There's so much inside of there. Um, the whole thing is just, it's, so it's one of the earliest works recorded that we're, we know, and it's dated back to, it's a Mesopotamian um, poetry, and it's dated back to the time of uh, Abraham. So this, or maybe even before that, but it, it would have been a story, Epic of Gilgamesh would have been something that Abraham would have known and probably learned. And I find that so cool. <laughs> I don't know, I love little like connections like that because it just makes stuff like this so tangible for me. So, um, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, the father of the gods, Enlil, um, has, um, also has supreme power. He would be like, um, the, he would be the Yahweh of the Mesopotamian, um, deities. Um, so with that, Enlil's command is said to be unalterable. Once he has made a decision, there is no way of changing it. Enlil himself was the only one able to amend what he had decided. And for the reason I bring this up is because I think this is such a good tie-in for, and for us to think about um, Yahweh, since this is a very similar figure um, from a pagan text. What God has said will happen is unalterable. He says, oh, this is going to happen. That is going to happen. Um and the only one who can change that decision is he himself. <laughs> and so how does this all work if he's not this grand puppet master? Um, how does it all work if, you know, maybe he, he doesn't know what will happen. He just knows what could happen. You know, how do, we, how do we reconcile those two things together? And here's the thought that I've had, and actually I heard it, um, a similar one used, a similar example used from Michael Heiser. So I, for me, I'm like, I'm in pretty good company, I think, <laughs> for having this thought. And um, put it in the way of, um, let's frame it in the way as an example of, as, of a chess game. Let's think about it that way. Um, so if you were to watch a grandmaster chess player, just the best of the best, some Russian guy, <laughs> there's no stopping him. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's a machine. Um, and you were to watch him play against a novice in the game. You know, the the closest example, if you've ever seen the show The Queen's Gambit, um, like when she's learning how to play chess, I think that is um, a, decent, a decent example of that that we can see. It, you know, it's the guy is so good. He's so intelligent about the game of chess and how to play it. And the novice is so illiterate to how to do it that the outcome was almost predetermined. It was like when you start when when she started playing, it was like, yeah, there's no way she's going to win. It it's, it cannot happen because he is so good. It's almost as if he can read her mind. Like he just knows what the next steps are. You know, it like we're shocked. I'm sure she was shocked and any of us would be shocked to be completely ignorant to a game, illiterate to a game playing against someone who lives and breathes this stuff. <laughs> it would be shocking to watch just the skill and we would probably, you know, it's just like, it's like you can determine what my next steps are. Um, so the grandmaster in this chess game, when we think about it this way, cannot decide the moves 
of the novice for them. They can't say, oh, you, you're going to move this now. You're going to do that. Um, the novice makes their own choices. But the grandmaster knows how to influence their moves and plan for every possible move. So the end is basically determined from the beginning, but how it gets there is questionable. It's up for debate. You don't know how it's going to happen, but you know it will happen. However, we wouldn't say that the grandmaster is subject to the whims of the novice. You know, it almost doesn't matter what the novice does because the grandmaster is just that good. He's just that smart and intelligent about the game that he knows how to set things up. He knows how to put himself in a good position where he's always he's always in a place to win. And I don't know how we can take that and differentiate it from what I'm trying to present here with God and you know God working in this way but on a divine scale with everything and everyone all at once. I think it's just it just becomes grander. God, you know, God doesn't have to cheat. If he has to resort to forcing us to move and do certain things, then isn't that like cheating? <laughs> um, and then it removes, again, it removes the idea of free will and our ability to choose, and it removes our responsibility and culpability for the actions and decisions that we make. You know, God is just that intelligent He's that much more intelligent. He's that much more powerful that he's able to tell us, oh, this will happen. And yes, you have the ability to make any choice, but he has the knowledge of every decision that we could make, that everything can make all at once, everything that can happen. He knows it all. He doesn't know, I would argue, I don't think he knows exactly what will happen. Like, oh, I will make this choice, but he knows that I that choice is presented to me and these are all the all the possible. It's like a multiverse. <laughs> He's, these are all the possibilities, and I get to choose. I get to choose one of those. But in the, in an end, it's like it also kind of doesn't matter because he knows how to set everything up. He knows how everything works and how to make it work. He's that smart. He's that strategic. He's the ultimate strategist <laughs> to be able to get that in there. So. Um, this is how it might start to feel, is feels like um, it might as well just be predestined. Everything might as well just be predetermined if he's just that smart and just can do it. And um, I think it's important when we look at sovereignty and human choice. You know, God's will cannot be thwarted. Only he can change what he has determined. But... God does change his mind. We do see that. Um, we see that in Exodus 32, 12 through 14, in Amos 7, 1 through 6, for example, where God said, this is, I'm going to do this. And then someone comes on behalf and is like, whoa, hold on. What if, uh, he's like, okay, I won't do it. I, that, yeah, you've, you've pleaded with me. I've had mercy and I've said, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to do that anymore. Now, I don't think that's something that, you know, he goes he goes back on himself like, oh, he was wrong, and he changed his mind. It's just like, no, he was just, he was right in every decision he made, and he chose mercy instead of wrath in some of these cases. Um, and I don't think we can fault God for, for any of that. Um, so if God determines that something will happen, who are we to outthink God? <laughs> It's a good question. When we're looking at someone who, and again, I, I, I've, I'm gonna, I'll say this again. When we add that limitation of God's knowledge to just, oh, he knows what will happen, I, I think it creates some other issues, again, but um, when we open it up to everything that could happen, I think that that removes the limitation that we placed on his knowledge in what he knows. You know, if if we could make decisions, again, this is, because I think often, and when we hear that, I thought this too when I when I first was, was thinking about this and going through this, is that if God is in a way can't, can't determine what we're going to do necessarily. 
um, or choose what we're going to do. You can't predestine these things for us to just be like, I'm a robot. I'm, I can't help but do this. It's like um, what we're doing is um, by thinking it's just the reverse, that if he can't do that, then he's just like, oh, what are they going to do next? Oh, um, what we're doing is we're saying that our decisions can override God's decisions. Then we are, you know, we are saying that we are more powerful or, or at the very least that we're peers to him. And that's not true. I think that's a huge jump to just say, well, if he can't puppet us, then he's, you know, underneath us. We can't say that. I think that's a huge leap to make. Um, especially when you look at the idea of strategy, because I, I, I think on a micro scale, I think there's a lot of things that can show us um, in some part. Because we're talking about an infinite being here. It can show us a part on a micro scale of how, how you know, life looks here. Because God is a God of order. He's a God of, of harmony. And there are things that we do. You know, we're, his, we're his imagers. We're here to represent him. And he's equipped us with tools to represent him well. And um, that's why I, I think it's fair to look at the idea of a strategist. And he's just doing it at such, a, such a, an infinite level that we can't begin to comprehend all of the information. If, if you're looking at like a war strategist, like who, who makes the best generals, the best strategists? Those are the people that are able to determine the most possible outcomes and make the best decision with that information. Now, if we were given all of the information every time, every single possible outcome, and every piece of data leading up to that, yeah, you're going to make some really good decisions. <laughs> you're going to make the best decisions possible with what you have. Um, yeah, if, you know, if that means that um, you know, if, if God is controlling our decisions, then we have no control and therefore no responsibility. And we can't say that for ourselves because that puts a lot of question and a lot of error it's a lot of bad theology and it creates a lot of issues for other things god is infinitely beyond our understanding he will always make the best decision despite what we do yeah everything that he (laughs) every decision that he makes everything that he chooses to do um it's he's working ephesians 111 or is it 11 1 it's 111 Ephesians 1.11. I don't have this one written down. Um, it says that he works all things. Um, and I, I think that's true. I think that's, I think that's a, a good way to think about it, is that he is working all things um, for his glory. So there's also, when we look at the idea of um, God allowing human choice, because I think that's the other thing. We can say, like, oh, that's all fine and dandy, but, like, does he... But, like... Um, looking at the idea of our ability to choose. And the fact that he, I think this is key to look at his sovereignty and what sovereignty means, is that he often um, will give us choices. We see that in scripture. You know, in 2 Samuel uh, 24, 12, God gives David, King David, three choices of punishment <laughs> and gives David the option to choose between between them. He's like, okay, how do you want it? There's this way, this way, and this way. I don't remember off the top of my head. And he says, which one do you want? <laughs> and um, David is given the opportunity to say, okay, punish me that way. <laughs> that, I think that's a, such an interesting and just like straight example of God allowing for, for us to make decisions um, based on what he will do. And, and, he'll, and, yeah. and it's, some of us might be like, why is he doing that? Like, well, because he wants to. <laughs> he chose to do it that way. Um, he chose to give us the ability to choose. First Samuel thirteen thirteen. Um, this is where Samuel tells Saul that because he did not keep the commandments of the Lord, his kingdom will come to an end. His being Saul's. However, if Saul had kept God's commandments, his Saul's rule would have been established forever. Because of Saul's actions, David became the king. And you think about that, it's like, whoa, hold on, that's actually a big thing. In some ways, like a course of history, history was adjusted because of that man's decisions. God would have said, I mean, we see it right here, God said, I would have established your rule forever. That's a long time. 
But because he was not obedient to the Lord, the Lord said, okay, you're done. <laughs> that's, I don't know. For me, that's, that's wild. And um, I think that's such a clear picture. And it pinpoints, I think, very closely to what I'm, what I'm getting at here. That, that, that passage is that God says, hey, um, Jesus will come in the incarnation from the line of David. And that's key. That doesn't change. Um, but he said, oh, Saul, because, um, you know, he, God said, this is what will happen. This is, this is the end result. This is what is going to happen. But how it happens, what happens along the line, that was kind of open for discussion <laughs> in a way. And actually we see that in other parts of, of the Old Testament. We see where he's talking, oh, I wish I wrote it down. Um, we see where he's, he's talking with his divine counsel. Again, that's, I know that's a touchy subject for a lot of people. And I, I, we're going we're gonna to talk about that one of these times. Um, because that really dives into some of the real wacky stuff that we're getting into. I'm doing a lot of prep for a lot of these conversations. That I'm so I'm so excited for. Oh, I'm so stoked. I hope you guys are too. Because this is like I, this is for me. It's like a core of tipsy theology. It's like let's talk about the real weird stuff. Because <laughs> I think it makes a lot of it helps us a lot with our theology when we are willing to to renegotiate some of these things. Not in a way of like oh let's just toss it out, but in a way of are we thinking rightly about this, and do, is what we're saying following? What are we What are we doing? How does the decisions that we've made on our theolog- theological standpoints and our doctrine does that limit God in some way? And if it does, we need to rethink that. Those are the things that we need to relook at. Um, and so we see there where he's talking to his divine counsel. I believe. Who are they talking about? They they were looking at um, like what are we gonna do about this guy <laughs> kind of thing, and God turns to his counsel and says his divine counsel and says, okay, any ideas? <laughs> and we see them coming with ideas and saying like, oh maybe this, maybe that, maybe this, maybe that, until finally um, one of the one of the divine beings comes and says, I got it. And God says, what do you got? Let's see, let's hear it. And he says, I'm gonna go. Um, basically be a bug in the ear of all of this guy's prophets, the king's prophets, and feed him just horrible prophecy <laughs> and just all false things. And God says, okay, do it. Let's go. Um, and again, that's another example of God saying like, okay, you have the ability to make a decision here. What, what do you want to do? Um, and yes, God was fully in the right to say, we're not doing any of that. This is what we're going to do. Or... You know, he has the right to override any of those things at any time, and we can't do anything about it because we are so much smaller. The divine beings ha- they cannot do anything about it because they are so much smaller. We pale so much in comparison to the Lord. You know, it's it's the creation talking to something outside of creation. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's incredible. Because that's the thing when we think about it. It's like, you know, God isn't confined to what he created. He is outside of that creation. When we break it down to three things, you know, three the, the ultimate basics of time, space, and matter, we are limited. Everything created is limited to those three things. That is the order of how God created the world. But God is not limited to, the, limited to those things. He created those things. <laughs> he's, not, he's not bound to them. We are bound to them. He is not. Everything on, in, on the earth is bound to that space is bound to that time is bound to itself but god is not bound to those things because he created those things and so with that he also doesn't have to cheat (laughs) and i think when we we say that he's i know i'm overemphasizing this point but when we when we resort to saying like oh he just kind of forces you to do this in some way or another, we might have some. A lot of people have a nicer way to say that. But if we are going to hold to that, we're saying that oh, so he's not smart enough <laughs> to just figure it out another way without like forcing people to do things, manipulating us in that way. No, I can't. That's not something I can hold to. And I think that's such a limitation to the intelligence of the Lord. Um, 
So when we look at the balance between sovereignty and predestination, in God's, in his, capital H, lordship, he tells us what he requires, but it is up to us to obey. He doesn't have to force us to get the outcome that he desires. You know, do you really think that um, God was just hoping that, you know, Mary would say yes? Do you think he was hoping that Moses would say yes to the call? Do you think that Abraham, that he was just like, oh, please, say yes, uh, fingers crossed? He wasn't. I don't think he was surprised. <laughs> um, and this, this is where it gets a little bit complicated where we add some of this into it. I don't, I don't think that God was surprised when he said, um, hey, Mary, this is what I'm going to do. Are you in? <laughs> I don't think he was shocked when she says, yes, let it be done. Um, I don't think he was shocked by that. I think he would have been shocked if she said no. <laughs> He'd be like, well, huh? <laughs> and with that, it's like, okay, so why is that? And um, I'm going from touchy subject to just touchy subject. But I think it's fair to say that you know the Lord, the Lord tests us. We see that all throughout Scripture. Um, and I'm sure even in our own lives, where he searches our hearts. This actually goes into another topic of can God read minds that I would, I've been reading some stuff about this and it's fascinating. I'd love to do an episode about that. Um, yeah, man. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So, um, yes, anyone that God called, you know, Mary, Moses, Joseph, <laughs> uh, not Joseph, but yeah, Joseph too, actually. <laughs> Moses, Abraham, the apostles, any of them could have said, mm, no thanks, I'm good. <laughs> but the Lord knew that they wouldn't. Well, how can he know? Um, you know, if he doesn't know what will happen, he doesn't know what we will say, he just knows a lot of possibilities. Uh, and the reason is because he tests the heart of man. You know, God knew that the heart of Job was one that feared him and turned from evil. You know, the, the Satan in the story doubted, doubted God's ability to make judgments on people, to make a, a judgment call like that, to be like, Job's pretty good. Job's pretty great. That's what God said, in my words. <laughs> God said, he's, he's a man who fears, fears me, fears the Lord, and turns from, from evil. And the Satan said, mm, you sure? Maybe you take some stuff away. Maybe he won't be so, so he won't do that. And so the Lord said, okay. He, he allowed the Satan to test Job. Um, proved him right. <laughs> proved, proved the Lord right. You know, could Job have turned from the Lord? Absolutely. Job could have, Job could have broken down and proved the Satan right in that case. But he didn't. You know, God wasn't just hoping. He wasn't there like, please, please, big bucks, no whammies. Please, Job, come on, I need this. You know, he's not, that's, that's, that, he wasn't doing that. He wasn't hoping that Job would stay faithful. He knew Job's loyalty because he knows, he knows us, um, he knows everything. <laughs> so there's a lot in there of, you know, testing, testing a man's heart to see, is it, is it loyal? That's why he gives us if-then statements that's why, you know, Jesus speaks about that. There's all these commandments to talk about. If you do this, then this will happen. And that's where it's for us. That's how we're responsible. Because he says, oh, don't eat of that fruit. <laughs> what do we do? We go ahead and do it. And he's like, okay, well, this is what's going to happen now. Because you chose to do this. He's not responsible for my choices. I'm responsible. Oh, I didn't mean to do that to you. Sorry. <laughs> Get too excited. God's not responsible for my choices in my actions. I'm responsible for my choices in my actions. And I can't blame him. I can't blame anybody for the things that I decide to do. And I think that's a huge thing that we have to remember and pay attention to. Um, and we look at the sovereignty of God. It's like, well, doesn't that make him not sovereign? No, it still makes him sovereign. <laughs> it still makes him all powerful. He gave us the ability to choose. He's not responsible for my choices. I'm responsible for my choices. I'm an independent man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, I lost my spot here. <laughs> so, again, with all of this, it doesn't remove our ability or our will to choose. Um, think of people that you know well. You know, it can be kind of scary sometimes um, where it's like I people that I know very well, it's like I can almost predict what they're going to do or what they're going to think or what they're going to say. Um, and why is that? Well, it's because I know them. It's because I know who they are and I know how to influence certain things. If you want to make somebody mad that you know well, it's like, oh, you know how to make them mad. You do. You say a couple things to them that's not so nice. Or you say a couple things that get them thinking a certain way. You know, um... <laughs> The people that know me well, I like to rant, and they know how to make me rant. <laughs> you say you say some things to get people going. Um, you know, if 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 I do something, I know that it can have an influence on the people in my lives, and I know how it can help influence those things. I knew that for myself when I'm when I'm setting up, you know, systems in my life to help myself do better. Well, I know how I think when I'm not doing well, <laughs> and so I know how to help myself help set myself up to fail well. Like when I'm failing, there's a system in place to still help me do well. Um, and it's kind of scary when we know someone to that, to that point. And what we're doing in this case is we're talking about that on an infinite level. We're talking about God, who is a supremely intelligent being. You know, there's, we see, again, I love Job. You know, I don't stop saying it. I love Job. <laughs> Um, in the end, when God's when God's speaking to Job, and he he outlines this like, bro, I know everything. <laughs> you can't fathom. We cannot fathom how much, how intelligent the Lord is, how vast His knowledge is. He talks about the grains of sand, the hairs on my head. I can't. I I could spend a lifetime and not know one of those things. <laughs> Let alone He knows all of that all the time for everyone, ever. That's a lot. And we're going to stoop down and say, he's got to force us to do stuff? No. No, we can't say that. I don't think we can say that with a straight face. <laughs> and um, I want to look at the story of Joseph um, for, for a key example in this uh, of, of what I'm talking about. So... Um, Joseph was used, Joseph was able to save Egypt and Israel from famine, which could have resulted in their annihilation or wiping most of them out. But his life, what happened in his life, the end result of, of him placed him in a position where he was able to save a lot of people. I don't know the numbers. But how did he get to that place? How he got there was pretty horrible. It was not great. He was at the age of, I think, 17 is what they say. Um, scholars say. In case you're like, who's they? <laughs> you know, they, man. Um, <laughs> at the age of 17, he was sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous. <laughs> They're like, you have a fancy coat, and you're my dad's favorite, and I hate you. <laughs> so off to slavery you go. <laughs> That's some sucky brothers right there. Be a better sibling than that. <laughs> he was thrown into prison for trying to do the right thing, for trying to not cheat on his boss's wife. <laughs> They're like, to prison with you. <laughs> that sucks. Now that sucks. Um... But at the end of it, what does he say? When his brothers fear that he's going to try to kill them, after, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, come on over. They're like, he's going to kill us because we kind of wrecked his life. <laughs> you know, it's not awesome. What does he say? Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph's life had a purpose regardless of how it actually happened. You know, hypothetically speaking, you know, what if his brothers had never sold him into slavery? Would he not have been able to save everyone? Would he not have ended up in Egypt? Maybe. Or maybe it would still would have happened. We don't know. Um, it just would have happened differently, I think is all we can say. 
um, maybe someone else would have saved the people. Um, you know, what if they had just killed Joseph instead? Um, would God would you know would God's plans have been thwarted? I don't think they would have been. I think that maybe things just would have been different. But God has plans. God has purposes, and those things those things will happen. Um, you know, God had a plan to prosper Israel and had a plan for Jesus to come. God has a plan and we have a choice. I think that's that's ultimately kind of what, what it comes down to. There's something else I wanted to say about all this um, in the Joseph story. Before we dive all of this into God's purpose and plan, because <laughs> I think when we look at the story of Joseph, and we look at that statement that God meant it for good. I think if we're going to hold to um, certain theology, certain certain theological ideas, we have to argue that the evil God meant to. And some people might say that. I hope you wouldn't. Because <laughs> that's not true. I, that can't be true. You're saying that God meant evil for somebody. So good. So you're saying that the the ends justify the means. That's your argument. I don't hold to that. I don't think that the ends justify the means. And so with that, God had a plan, he said, to, to, for Israel to prosper, um, for them to stay alive, another way to say that. And his brothers had a choice, and they made a choice. It was to sell their brother into slavery. That was a choice they made. God's plan to, for, to prosper Israel was going to happen regardless um, of how it happened. It just so happened it was Joseph in our, in our, in our dimension. <laughs> multiverse again. <laughs> am I a multiverse theorist? Maybe I am. Maybe that's where I'm going down. But for us to argue that God meant evil on somebody, he meant for him to, to suffer and for him to be, um, for those just atrocities to happen, selling someone into slavery. I think we say that a little flippantly sometimes. Like, oh yeah, so he was in slavery. It's like, no, that's slavery. That's a big deal. That's a big thing. That's not a small thing. That's a big thing. If we're saying that God meant that for somebody, uh, wouldn't that make God responsible in some ways? And I, I don't believe that. I can't believe that. That God is um, responsible for evil, responsible for sin. Um, I think that Joseph's brothers were responsible for the decision that they made. And based on that, you know, God, God, God still worked it for good in his divine strategic plan. Did he know that that's what would happen? I think he knew that that very well could happen. <laughs> Again, he's looking at everything on such a such a scale that we can't fathom that I'm sure he's like, yeah, this is most likely going to happen. <laughs> but again, he allows us the ability to choose to make decisions, to be responsible for what we do. And did he allow that to happen? Yeah, because he allows he allows us to make decisions. Um that doesn't make him responsible for them because he gave us, he chose to give us choice. And I think when we're going to switch and point blank, blame back and be like, well, I wouldn't have had made a bad decision if you hadn't given me the choice to make a decision. We're just pointing fingers again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, we're responsible for the decisions that we make, not the, not the Lord, not anybody else. The serpent was not um, at fault for, for the choices that Adam made. He influenced them. He was definitely a huge pusher of them doing it. And he had his own faults <laughs> for being a tempter in that way, to, to guiding them and pushing them to that. But ultimately, they made that decision too. They chose to do that. They're responsible for what they what they chose to do. That doesn't mean we can go tempt people and think like, oh, well, we're good. It's like, no, you're still not good. <laughs> I'm 
there's Bible verses about that too. Um, maybe it's getting a little convoluted up around here. I'm saying too, saying too much. <laughs> I'm just digging holes for myself. Very maybe. <laughs> um. So God has a plan, and we have a choice. He was and is, and will be the sovereign ruler of overall, and that will never change. There's nothing, there's, there's no choice that I can make to change that. There's no choice I can't make that will change that. You know, we have a choice, however, and the choices that we have is to be inside of his will or to be outside of his will. Since the fall of man, God had a plan, a predestined outcome to reconcile man to himself. And man, we, men and women, if you prefer, we have a choice to be reconciled to him. Some of us choose that and some of us do not choose that. But his godship doesn't change based on that. So can you be sovereign without controlling people? Yeah. We say it all the time. They're called kings and queens. Humans. (laughs) A sovereign uses their authority to make decisions that affect the ones they're ruling. But it's up to the people that they're ruling to carry them out. If we do not obey God, that doesn't affect his sovereignty. He's still the sovereign, the Lord of everything. Um, But that speaks to our obedience than it does against his ruling. You know, God knows more than than what will happen. He's not a cheater. I got to say that a lot. (laughs) For me, that that was just such an eye-opening idea. I was like, whoa, yes. God gave us the ability to choose because he wanted to. I think that's the why behind it. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to. Why did he create the earth? Because he wanted to. (laughs) Why did you leave the keys upon the table? You wanted to. (laughs) Shout out if you get that reference. (laughs) You better get that. It's it's a pretty big song. (laughs) Um, You know, God is the creator. He's the the sovereign. He's the ruler. He's not subject to his own creation. Um, He allows us the choice to choose. And our choices will never and can never thwart or overrule him because we're not God's peers. We're (laughs) we're underneath him. We're his subjects. Um, And so, you know, at the end of this, the question is, you know, so, okay, so what is sovereignty then? Um, in my, the way I would approach it in this, in a very, very simplistic way of everything that we've talked about, is it's God's right to rule over his creation. That is what his sovereignty is. It's his right to rule his creation. It doesn't mean he controls us. It means that he reigns. So what's the point, you know? Are we just pawns? Are we just these divine pawns in a big old game of chess? Um, God gave us purpose. God isn't our peer. He's our king. So let's do what he called us to do. And I love this verse. Um, I say it a lot. <laughs> That's Micah 6.8, the B side of that verse especially. Um, and that set, that tells us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him, with our God. And I think that's what we have to do at the end of this. We're, we need to remember the place that, that we hold in front of him and also the place that he's elevated us to, despite everything that we've done. <laughs> but it is our choice always has been, always will be, our choice to to follow him, to love him, or to not do that. You know, his authority is not threatened. It's not changed or altered because of what we decide to do or decide not to do. But at the end of it, we're not just pawns. He's given us a purpose. He's given us a choice. A pawn has no choice, <laughs> but we do. He, he, in his love and his mercy and his grace, he gave that to us. And I want 
us to choose, I want for myself to choose to love him well, to do justice well, to love mercy well, and to walk humbly with him. And so, thank you guys. <laughs> this is fun. I hope it was helpful. Love to hear your thoughts on love this. I always love hearing from you guys. Um, this is a conversation. I want it to continue to be a conversation. And let's let's pursue this. Let's talk through this together. And so you can follow me on Instagram, which is tipsy underscore theology, or you can send me an email if you're more inclined at tipsytheologypodcast at gmail.com. The links for both of those will be in the description as well. If you love what we're doing and you want to help this girl, you want to be a part of it in more of a, in, in a bigger way, um, you can support you can support us on Patreon. You can support me the podcast. Support the podcast on Patreon. Um, the link for that will be in, in the description as well. Um, yeah, I look forward to talk to you guys more about this and seeing where the conversation goes. And until then, I'll talk to you hopefully sooner rather than later.